uh, uh, just kind of connect a little bit of what we're doing with what we're studying. You know, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, you get all this really uh, practical instruction. And then in 2 Corinthians, it gets down to talking about relationships. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about our relationships as we go through struggles in life and, and how the, the, the struggles you went through might be, uh, you know, I don't think God made the problem happen, but the Bible says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It might very well be that the Lord is just going to use your struggles to bless the person sitting three chairs away from you tonight. And so there's this practicality of it all. And and, and that's what we do when we make disciples. And, and, you know, we're sharing this morning. I do a discipleship group on Saturday mornings. We've got a new guy. They're, they're starting a new Hope Chapel in Aikahi Park. And uh, so he came to join with us. And we're just trying to, you know, share these things as we go through life. But uh, really one of the things that we're really all about is expanding the kingdom of God. And we do that by planting churches. And so Foursquare Denomination had a convention in uh, May and prior to the convention, they wanted to talk about church planting. And so they came to Hawaii and they interviewed. Uh, it was really cool because, uh, you know, Wayne Cordero and myself have been kind of, I don't know, God used us to kind of light the match a long time ago. Uh, they interviewed mostly the next generation of guys that are out there. And we think that's really cool. So take a look at this video. It'll just bless you. I think you'll be encouraged by it. I believe God's moving in a greater way in Hawaii um, than, than I've seen ever before. We've always experienced incremental growth, 20%, 30% a year, but then what we experienced in the last three years is phenomenal. I've heard of exponential growth. I never had it until about three years ago. We are the fastest growing denomination in, in Hawaii. 5% of the population in Hawaii attend a Foursquare church. We are the only state that is the Christian population is growing faster than the regular population. According to the 1853 census, 96% of the people of Hawaii claimed to be Christians. There was a huge revival here. You had the vast majority, king and commoner alike, here in the islands were Christians. Unfortunately, it came to a screeching halt when the monarchy was overthrown and some of the church fell apart. Until about 1985, the evangelical church in Hawaii really wasn't doing a whole lot. That's maybe why God raised up people like Wayne and Ralph and sent them here to reignite, to serve as catalysts for what he had started a long time ago. When people talk about being cross-cultural, to us that's natural. We already grew up in that kind of an environment where Filipinos and Samoans and Hawaiians and Caucasians and Japanese and Chinese all blend together very, very well. And the great thing about the diversity in Hawaii is the different philosophies behind those diversities. I don't know any other place that um, has brought people together in such a, a healthy way. Because I can see things, let's say in Los Angeles, there's so many people from different cultures, but they're all in silos. Here, they're all mixed together. It creates an, a culture of understanding, very cross-cultural. The philosophy of you're different, I want to learn what you do. What can we help you with? What do you like about what we do that could help your ministry and your church and for you to reach more lost people? Because that's what it all comes down to. Ralph is different from me and the way that we approach ministry is different. But here's the cool thing. We both have the same goal in mind, to reach lost people, to disciple them into leaders, and then send those leaders out to do the very same thing we've been doing. And if you think that you can do it all in one generation, you don't have a big enough scope of what God wants to do. My son has just become the lead pastor of the church. Since my son and, and the crew kind of came on board, we've grown 50%. That tells me a world about that you gotta have younger guys that are coming up to understand the world that they live in. The neat thing is I see Carl Moore, Ralph's son, and my son Aaron, and so when you see your own sons in ministry and doing well, you know something's going well. The baton has been passed well. Ralph's son, Carl, and I were great friends. We grew up um, surfing together and hanging out in Bible college. And there's just a wonderful, uh, kind of a unifying thing happening. 
uh, not just with the, you know Hope Chapel, but I think just the Capital C Church in Hawaii. It's great that they are actually expecting us to take it farther and cheering us on and allowing us the freedom. There's freedom for expression. There's freedom to add on. There's freedom to bring in more components and change. And that's what the church has to be. It has to change. It can't be the same that it was 25 years ago. It's got to grow from that. We stand on a pretty solid foundation laid down by my, my dad, by Wayne, by all those that have gone before us. They've, they've really built something for us to kind of jump up on that platform and take from there. Tons of churches are getting started. We're really big on multiplication and building disciples. God is behind us and we've got something going here. But again, we also don't want to just keep it to Hawaii. I know our church and many of the churches are thinking globally. People are being sent and missionaries are rising up. God's doing a new thing here and it's exciting just to be a part of. Is that good? You know, it, it just keeps growing and growing. I, I uh, you know, we do this thing called Mission Hope. Every so often you get the little newsletter, and, and we have an a annual board meeting. There isn't a whole lot of business to do. Uh, Mission Hope basically is me traveling around the world teaching guys how to make disciples. And, and uh, yesterday, uh, we, we, I had I'd been in New Zealand, and I met a, a missionary from New Guinea that's really struggling, really uh, gone through some difficult times, and and I, it ended up. I think that uh, it, at least fifty percent of the talking I did in New Zealand was with this one man. I did the seminars, but I had every single meal in the hotel with this guy, and um, he was uh, going through some stuff. And so Mission Help Board decided they wanted to bless him financially, and it was really a cool thing. And it's just something that we hadn't done before, and and uh, and we were able to afford to do it. That's a cooler thing. And then this morning, I was in my discipleship thing that we're doing every Saturday, and, uh, and we were talking about how your life changes. And um, we're, the, actually, the topic in the book was talking about trying to die empty, you know, try, try to give away everything you've got in terms of the things of the Lord and, and just, you know, have, have gone the, the extra mile, what Paul's going to talk to us about tonight. And um, we were talking about... You know, I'm slowing down. I, I, I used to go on these trips. I'd go for three weeks and go to three different countries. And, uh, and lately it's been two countries. And now it's going to be one country. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you, you just, you know, the case gets heavier. And, um, and so somebody said, why, why, wouldn't it be wonderful if with Mission Hope you could, you could uh, like, bring three guys from another country over here to just go to mini church, sit through church, uh, go see Kahala, which is a startup kind of an operation. Uh, come to our discipleship on Saturday. And as soon as he says it, I, Mr. Faith and Power here, I, I'm going, no way. We don't have the money. It can't do it. You know. and, and, then, and then it just, you know, we, we, we got off that subject, and then we got to get back onto it again. It's like, oh, my gosh. I know, I know a guy in Namibia. He oversees about 25 churches in Namibia. Most of you have never heard. Can you pronounce Namibia? Try to say it. Namibia, uh, it, it, it just doesn't quite sound right, but his name is Festus, and he looks like Elvis Presley. I can't pronounce his last name, but he's, he's an African, so he looks like a black Elvis Presley. And so I have, I met him in Johannesburg two years ago, and then I was with him last year in Cape Town, and I've nicknamed him Elvis, and now all of them are calling him Elvis. It's really cool. <laughs> and there's another guy named uh, Xavier Adriance, who is, is uh, just a powerhouse. He started a church off of some tapes that we did about how to start church. And he told me he listened to the series eight times before he started his church. He's discipling guys, sending them all out. And, and, and we realized to fly just those two guys from the other end of the earth, I mean, it's the farthest place you can go away on the planet, here is doable. And, you know, we, 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 the, the, the vision, what they were saying there, what Carl was saying there about it's not just for Hawaii. It, it extends to the ends of the earth. Uh, if we're willing to think about it, God's probably willing to make it happen. You know, the Bible says that, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we would dare ask or think. You know, we give that book away to people who are new in the church called Prayer Dare to Ask that I wrote. It comes out of that scripture. God is like daring you. Ask me things. Trust me for things. Uh, expect the, uh, the impossible to be possible 
and, uh, and, and we go from there. And so, you know, God wants to do good things. Well, we're talking about Paul. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tonight. And um, I'm going to kind of read some stuff because I'm not smart enough to have it all really locked into my head. But I'm going to give you just a little bit. And all of this, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to quote the Bible in this whole introduction part, but I want to read you some things that we know from reading various passages of Scripture. And, and, and there's a reason for this. It, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the sermon. But I, I, I want you to understand, you know, people sometimes think, oh, well, somebody got around and made up the Bible. Oh, we, we know that these are, First and Second Corinthians, are two letters that Paul wrote to a church that he planted, and then the church was kind of messing up. They, they were... Uh, organizing almost like little political parties in the church. It's, you know, uh, I, I'm against these guys, you know. Some people are for Paul. Some people are for Peter. Uh, you know, some, some people are for Apollos. Uh, Apollos was actually in town before Paul showed up, we think. Um, some people are going, well, I, I'm, I'm better than all of you. I'm for Jesus. And, uh, you know, if you actually stop and think about some of the names of, of some of the churches that are out there, some of the denominations, I won't name any because I don't want to make people mad at me. I'm not talking about like New Hope or Hope Chapel or Calvary Chapel, but some of the names of, of denominations almost say like, we are the people of God. In other words, what about the rest of them, you know, uh, of, the, of the Christians? And, and so Paul's dealing with these kind of problems, but just, just the internal documentation, this may not mean much to you, but I'm a little bit of an egghead, and it means a lot to me that, that you, can, you can go in there and you can cross-reference different places in the Bible and you can kind of put together that, here's a funny word, the historicity of it. I mean, obviously it's the history of it, but the reality of that history uh, by reading it. So here's what we know, is that Paul first visited Corinth on his first missions trip. Uh, he led the leader of the synagogue to the Lord. They all got kicked out of the synagogue. They met in the house next door. And that was in 8 AD 51. We actually know the date. And we know that he was there for 18 months because the New Testament tells us that in another place. Then he goes to Jerusalem on a mission to take money to the poor people in Jerusalem. He comes back to Antioch, which is his home church, and then goes to Jerusalem. Then he comes and he travels again on a second missionary trip. This time he ends up in Ephesus, and he stays in Ephesus for three years. And this is pretty much A.D. 53 to 55, during that time, he wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. I guess we have it up here. It's called the previous letter. It's not 1 Corinthians. He had written them a letter. And we read in 1 Corinthians, he says something to them about, in my previous letter, I wrote. So we know that he wrote in the previous letter. Then in, uh, he hears reports from the Corinthians about the problems going on in Corinth, about the, the spiteful behaviors and 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 then. Uh, getting a little too rock and rolly in terms of spiritual things in chapter 14. He has to kind of tone them down a little bit. And he writes 1 Corinthians in A.D. 55. Give me the next slide. And uh, then he sends Timothy to Corinth. We read last week in, in 1 Corinthians, he writes, when Timothy comes, don't embarrass him. Treat him well. Treat him with respect. He's a young man. Treat him with respect. Then he comes through Corinth again, and this is called the painful visit. This is when the letter apparently didn't do what he wanted to do, so he had to do what he wanted to do. And uh, it goes from there. Then he sends what's called the severe letter. In, in other words, uh, this thing must have gotten way out of hand. We have no idea what. Uh, it's just See, one of the reasons that you believe the Bible is because the Bible tells about the rotten stuff as well as the good stuff. When you read myth, it always tells about the heroes being wonderful and everything that they do works out really well. Here he has to come have a severe letter, uh, and, and, and then a, and a painful visit. Uh, he leaves Ephesus. He meets Titus in Macedonia. And then he uh, goes and sends uh, the, the letter of 2 Corinthians. And we believe that Titus actually delivered that letter. And then he visits Corinth a third time. Um, he, he, and, and while he's in Corinth, he writes the, the, the letter to the Romans, the book of Romans in the New Testament. Now, Again, why did I tell you all that? Didn't it bless you spiritually? Uh, it, it just I want to anchor you to the Bible a little bit. I want you to get the feeling that uh, this isn't something that's made up. Because, you know, we hear all this attack against Scripture and, and this and that all the time. Uh, but just from the Bible, none of what I shared tonight 
just now comes from any source other than the Bible. There are things that we know about Jesus, there are things we know about the disciples, there are things we know about the early church that we don't get from the Bible. You know, people go, well, you just can't believe the Bible, it's all made up. But then you can look at Josephus, you can look at these other historians of the time who were not Christians, who didn't really like the Christians, and you read what they wrote about the Christians, and it hand in gloves with the Bible, all the more reason for believing in our Bible and trusting the Word of God to really be the Word of God. Am I making sense? Well, I'm done with that. That's the first sermon. Here comes the second one. Um, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I hope you got your Bibles. Um, he starts about talking about fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. He says, this letter is from Paul. This is kind of the way that they would uh, greet each other when they write a letter. I'm, they, they put their name at the beginning, not just at the end. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So Paul and Timothy are together in Ephesus while they're writing this letter to the Corinthian church because we know that Timothy became the main leader of the church in Ephesus. And he says, I am writing to God's church in Corinth and to all of his holy people throughout Greece. In other words, this letter would be sent to the Corinthian church and then it get passed around. And one of the reasons that scripture is scripture is that about two centuries later, they, somebody gathered, uh, they had like a conclave, a convention, and they gathered all of the things like the letters to the Corinthian church that had been passed around and people had for two centuries been going, oh, this is God's word to us. In other words, Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians. And two centuries later, only two of them are being continually in circulation because those two carry truth that people are going, this is God talking to us. And the other two letters, they're basically saying, I wasn't there, so I'm not sure exactly what they said, right? But they're basically saying that was Paul talking to the church of Corinth. But in these two letters, it was more than Paul talking to the church of Corinth. It was God talking to all of us. And so they had hung on to those letters. And so that's what made it in. Have you ever heard the words canon of Scripture? C-A-N-O-N, which just means the body of Scripture. And they, they got together and they decided, what, what have we for two centuries been looking at as the written down words of God to us? You know, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and then he writes the book of Acts to, hit, to somebody named Theophilus. The word means lover of God. We don't actually know if Luke was written, writing to one man named Theophilus. I just met a guy in New Zealand. He's from Sri Lanka. His name is Theophilus. Uh, we don't know if he was writing to a guy named Theophilus or if he was writing to lovers of God in general when he, when he writes Theophilus. But he, he, he writes this thing. And so two centuries later, what do we have that we believe is God talking to us Let's put it all together and, uh, and bind it all up, and it'll be something that people can use. Making sense? So now you know a little bit about how you got your Bible. But um, it, he starts out by saying this letter is from Paul, uh, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from Timothy. Uh, in other words, Paul was sent on a mission by God, and it was a special mission. In Acts chapter 9, where we read about his conversion, you know, we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, so I won't get into it too much. But, but, but he was originally named Saul. He's from Tarsus, which is modern Turkey, and he was persecuting the church. And God did something fantastic. He saw a vision that knocked him off his horse. He heard a light from. Uh, he heard a, a, a loud voice saying, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" The people with him heard the voice, but they only heard it as a sound, like rumbling. But he hears, here he hears this thing. He's actually blinded physically for three days until somebody prays for him. And he is told that he is going to go into the city and he'll be told there what's required of the rest of his life. And he changes and he becomes not a persecutor of the church, but the greatest perpetrator of the church. He's pressing Christianity on the ancient world like nobody ever else did in history. Nobody else other than Jesus Christ has impacted human history to the extent of this one single man. If you stop and think about it, Western civilization comes to us because Paul went on these missionary journeys and did the things that he did. In Acts chapter 9, it says, The Lord said to the guy, Ananias, who was going to go pray for him, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. 
He's, he, he's going to go to the Gentiles, which was a whole new thing for the Christians. They were only going to Jewish people. He's going to go to kings, which the, 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 the Christians were a hounded sect. How would they get to speak to kings? Well, Paul did, but he was in prison when he did it. And he's going to speak to Jewish people, God's chosen people. So this is his assignment. And um, the question really comes up as soon as you start talking about that is, uh, do you know your assignment? You know, what has God called you to do? I am certain that 99% of the people in this room are not called to be pastors or missionaries. When we talk about God's calling in our life, it's so easy to always think that. Oh, calling to be a pastor, calling to be a missionary. That's not me, therefore I must not be called by God. But Blair Stoltz is called to run a machine shop and to hire guys that, that, that have gone through some real difficult times in their life and give them a second chance and pastor those people that he hires. And he does it very, very well. Ron Nishihara is called to run a business that, that has to do with planning and architecture and getting projects actually built, but do it in a way that that business becomes by itself a testimony of who God is and who God is in Ron's life. And he does it very, very well. You know, what is your calling? You know, who are, 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 are you supposed to be? Susan Hummel is called to be a principal of a, of a school and to let the light of the gospel shine through her life in there. She does it really well. Who are you called to be? And, and the calling isn't a churchy thing. It's a Christian thing. It's a life thing. Who are you called to be? And how are you doing? You know, every so often, it's a good idea for us to ask ourselves those questions. Well, I've been talking for a long time, and we're only in verse 2. So um, in verse 3, he talks about God's comfort. and says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. God is the source of all comfort. When we look at human beings as the source of our comfort, they are going to let us down. When we look at God beyond the human and, and see that God, you know, one of the things that I had to learn as a young pastor was that God was the source of financial blessing on the church. I, I, I remember when, I mean, this is terrible. This should never happen to a pastor. But it happened to us for the first about maybe six weeks. Uh, we, my wife and I had to, 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 to count the offering and to be, she was the church treasurer and she was the church bookkeeper which meant that we knew who was given what. And that's not a good thing for a pastor to know. I, I don't want to know who's given what. I, I can't sign checks in the church. I've never allowed my name to be on anything where I can sign a check. I, I, I want somebody else to do that so everybody always knows that Ralph doesn't, doesn't have, a, you know, Mission Hope, I can't sign those checks. I'm, I always have to requisition a check. You know, if I buy something, i got to come back and, 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 and I, I want it to be that way. But there was a little while where, where we knew, and, and it, there, there were two things that were bad. One was we got judgmental. Uh, we saw people who were coming to our church who were making good money, and, and this is a time that the, the main industry of the church is making sand candles. You remember those things? Where you go and you, you carve out a little sand, and you, you, you pour some hot wax in there with some color in it, and you put a wick in it. and I mean, that was better than what they were selling before they got saved. If you catch my drift. And, um, but then we, we saw middle-class people starting to come to the church, and, and, and we know good and well that throwing 20 bucks in the offering ain't tithing. And yet we got this one girl that's babysitting, and one week, you know, she, she tithes 73 cents. The, the next week, she tithes $2.12. She's tithing to the penny, and we're looking at her and going, this one gets it, those people don't. And we started judging people. That was bad. But the other thing was that somebody who had been putting substantial amount of money in the offering, I mean, this is like an over six-week period of time. I mean, this is very short. But, I mean, this, we're getting paid like 15 bucks a week at the time, and our rent is 225 a month. So we're going through our savings real fast. So it, it, was, it was horrible to even notice. But somebody comes to church, they throw, you know, 50 bucks in the offering, they come twice and do that, and then they decide not to come back. And it's like, oh, and one day the Lord really brought me up short and said, look, it doesn't really matter who comes and who doesn't come and who gives and who doesn't give. I'm the supplier. I'm the source. 
And if, if, and if this doesn't supply this way, it'll supply this way. Back off. The message to me is back off. And, and so it says here that the Lord is our merciful Father, and He is the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles. That means the crap you're going through right now. Can I say that word in church and get away with it? I mean it. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I have this tendency to look back. I, I actually keep a journal of all the major biggies that I've gone through that have been terrible and got, how God got me through them. And I still am tempted sometimes to go, yeah, but that was then, this is now. In other words, yeah, you did that, but I don't, you can't do this one. <laughs> he comforts us in all of our troubles. And then it says this, so that we can comfort others. You ought to underline that in your Bible, so that you can comfort others. God didn't make your problems, but when you get through your problems and you get out the other end of it, then God wants to use you to be a blessing to the other guy who's going through it. He says, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. The more we suffer, the more God's going to shower us with comfort. Even when we're weighed down with our troubles... It is for your comfort and salvation. Paul's talking about his own self, the trouble he went through. It's, it's to bless you. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you, and you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also be able to share in the comfort that God gives to us. So we live in a fallen world. John chapter 16, verse 33 says this, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. That's a promise. You know, do you ever have one of these little dealies? I don't know if people do this anymore, but there used to be these like little boxes of promise cards, and you put them on your kitchen table, and, and you know, this is probably for people who don't read their Bible in the morning. But you, you, you go in there, and while you're having your cup of coffee, you whip up a little card, and you read the, th and, and then you put it in the back, and tomorrow you read another one, and, you know, Scripture promises. Well, this is a promise here. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. That's a promise. Yucky one, but it's a promise. Here on earth you'll have many trials and, and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. This is Jesus talking. It's going to be tough, but I've overcome the world. I'm on your side. I'll get you through it. And he goes on in, in Zephaniah, actually, in verse uh, 17 of chapter 3. It says, for the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will, and this is a part to underline, calm all your fears. What are you going through right now that you think is probably too big for God? It says that God will calm all your fears. When we were asked about comfort tonight, I talked to my friend Mark, and he was telling me about a problem that he just went through. And that it didn't turn out very well. And he said he went outside and he just started praying. And he goes, God didn't speak to me. But what did happen was a calm came over me. Well, I actually think that's the way of God speaking to us. That God can calm us in the middle of things. He'll calm all your fears. And then it says this, he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I don't think that God sits in heaven and looks down and goes, there's Dennis Adair. He is really struggling. He is going through the pile right now. Ha, 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 I'm rejoicing over him with joyful songs, that poor sucker. I don't think that's what it means. I think if it says that God will rejoice over you with joyful songs, it's, it, there's an implied promise he's going to get you through. And then he's going to rejoice over how it turned out in your life. Is this good? Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is good stuff. I like this. Uh, go on in verse 8. It says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia, which is modern Turkey. Uh, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. I mean, that's pretty scary. You know, the Bible, in, in, in one place in, in the book of Acts, um, uh, chapter 14, I think, tells about some people, in, and I always get the towns confused, they're right next to each other, Lystra and Derby, And Paul went there, and and in one situation, they took him outside and stoned him, and they thought they killed him. That's why they left him alone. They left him for dead, and they went back. It says the disciples went and gathered around him. doesn't say they prayed, but they probably did. 
And it says he got up, went back in the city, snuck back in, and appointed elders in the churches of the disciples he'd made. I mean, this guy's tougher than whatever, you know, cast iron. And it says we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Him and his, bar- and his partners, they went through it. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely on God. That's another part to underline. We learned to rely on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. When he says mortal danger, he's talking about the fear of death. And he will rescue us again. And we have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. It's interesting. You know, sometimes um, this business of, 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 of this sharing and encouraging people is one thing. You know, I, when I travel and teach in these other places, a, a lot of times I'm talking to guys in small churches in difficult spots. You know, when I was in, in, in Cape Town, I met a couple. They're from the Transkei. The Transkei is like the outback of South Africa. It's the country. They grew up in a mud hut. They got a child, husband, wife, little kid. They're, they're, they've been discipled. They're, they're, they're pastors. They try to start a church, and it turns out that the people in the Transkei, and I don't have an answer to this one at all. The people in the Transkei, it's one of those cultures where they honor elders, but they honor elders so strongly that they don't pay attention to young people. So here you got a guy who's maybe 25, 27 years old trying to pastor people who are 40, 50, 60 years old, and they're not going to pay attention to a word that he says. And so they brought him into Cape Town to just sort of retool him and emotionally and spiritually because they're just hurting real bad. And they just brought him there to bless him and to encourage him and to then to train him some more and then send them someplace else because they won't send them back to Transkei. And these people don't have much money. I, I mean... Uh, they, their church building, I, I, it, it will hold about may, less than 200 people. And it costs about 160000 U.S. dollars to build, and they needed U.S. dollars to build it. They didn't have enough money to, 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 to cover it. I, I actually watch, I, I watch House Hunters International, and last night I watched a thing about Durban, South Africa, and I found out in South Africa, and you can buy a two acres of ground with a swimming pool and a three-bedroom, two-bath house for 143,000 U.S. dollars. So they don't have much pocket money. But they brought this guy in, and they're going to send him someplace and do whatever. But he was really suffering. You know what he's suffering from? He was suffering from having to live in a nice house with glass in the windows and drywall and carpet on the floor and live in a city that had paved roads. It was driving him wild because of culture shock. He grew up in a mud hut where the dirt, the, the roads are dirt, and they turn to mud in, 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 the, in the rainy season. Uh, and you don't very often get three meals a day. And all of a sudden, he's got to live in the city where there's all this bounty. And to us, it would be poverty. To them, it's bounty. And, 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 it, and it, was, it, was, it was crushing him. It was blowing him away. And so when I travel, I, I, I like to go and, and, and start out. The first part of my deal is I always tell about all the troubles that we went through when we started the church. And inevitably, the, the pastors come at the end and they go, the best part of the whole thing wasn't all the cool stuff you taught us. It was you showing us that you suffered what we suffer. And, and yet so many Americans that I know go to these places and they go, I got 6,000 people in church and here's how I did it and da 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 uh, oftentimes we just need to really learn to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who, who rejoice and, and be willing to pray with people who need prayer. You know, I, I found myself one day at the Windward Mall, and all of a sudden I, I realized that I was standing in the doorway of the Windward Mall, the back side door uh, that's kind of by Ruby Tuesdays and, and, and Sears in between there. And, and, and we, were, we were praying. Somebody I met from the church was there, and they had a friend, and the friend had just gotten diagnosed with cancer. And, and I, it, it's just become so natural. I go, let's just pray. And so we just were praying. And all of a sudden, I look up, and, and we're, we're blocking the doorway, praying. <laughs> well, that's a little weird. Yeah, you know, that's a little, you know, you don't have to be like that. But we ought to get to the point where 
we do pray first. And we do pray for others. And I want to ask you to pray about something right now. I, I heard something. It's been rumbling around. But I, I heard an angle on it today that I didn't hear before. You know that most of the churches in Hawaii um, meet in public schools. Some of the biggest churches in Hawaii are in public schools. And the, this has come under attack at the federal level in New York State and in, in, in Florida. Um, judges, circuit court judges, have ruled against churches and schools. Now, the Congress passed legislation that saved us as a church in 1986 when they were going to try and kick us out of the school in Hawaii. And the Congress passed legislation that's, that's it's called equal access. If they're going to rent to anybody, they've got to be willing to rent to a church. They don't have to rent to a church, but then they can't rent to the Boy Scouts. So that's going to probably come up to the Supreme Court because it's being fought in New York and Florida, and probably the church will win. But Hawaii has had forever on its books, and I don't know whether this is at the school district or at the legislature that you deal with this. I do know this, that, that we have a circle of pastors that meets once a month, bigger churches in Hawaii, and it actually is it's kind of funded by one of the bigger banks, and we meet in their corporate boardroom. And before Neil Abercrombie became the governor, they invited him there just to get to know the, ch the, the churches, the pastors. And then after he became the governor or governor-elect, they, they said, we want to help. What can we do? And so one of the things that's going on right now is to, to, to help with low-income housing, just going and refurbish places. And, and a lot of the churches are starting to, I mean, the ball's rolling. The project hasn't happened yet, but the ball's rolling. And, and so Abercrombie is on our side in this thing. But this law says that you can't use, a, a church can't be in a school for more than five years in Hawaii. In other words, you can be there for five years, you leave, another church can come for five years, they leave. And this is, you can imagine the disruption this is going to cause all over. And the governor has said that he is going to try and stand with the churches. There's one man who's, who, who is an avowed atheist, has a big website, big deal, brags every year that he made us take our cross down at Easter. Uh, we put the cross up for five, five weeks every Easter, and whenever we take it down, then on his website he says he made us take it down. Um, anyhow, uh, he's pressing this law. And right now, uh, there's got to be a lot of churches, a lot of, of pastors freaking out of their minds. And I knew about the federal thing. It's pretty much under control. The state thing uh, is going to require that a law gets changed. And it's going to require that it gets changed in a hurry if it doesn't cause, you know, to not cause a lot of disruption. Would you pray with me about that? We've started a lot of those churches. Uh, of the churches that we've started in Hawaii, at least 80% of them are, are worshiping in schools. New Hope uh, Town is meeting in Farrington High School, and they've been there for longer than five years. I mean, there's massive threat against the church. So let's just pray right now. Lord, we come to you and ask you a very simple thing, that you would cause this law to be changed and that you would cause it to be changed in time that it doesn't destroy churches. And, Lord, we sometimes take faith from circumstances. Uh, we ought to more have faith in you, but we also take faith in circumstances. And we know that the governor has come out on our side in this, and so we take extra courage in that. But we ultimately believe that it's going to be you, especially if whatever gets done is going to get done in time. And so we ask that you would uh, do this thing and that you do it quickly and that, uh, that we come out ahead in this. Lord, we pray for comfort for those churches and those pastors that are th living under a threat of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Is, is that good? Well, he goes on and talks about having personal integrity in verse 12. He says, We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness. He's really talking about integrity and honesty here. And sincerity in all of our de dealings. In other words, what I say I do and what I say I won't do, I don't do. We've depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we've conducted ourselves before the world and especially toward you. Our letters have been straightforward and there's nothing written between the lines. In other words, what, what I say is, it sometimes is hard to hear because he'd written those two hard letters. But 
There's nothing between the lines. What, what's there is there, and there's nothing more to it. There's no backroom deals going on that you don't know about. Our letters have been straightforward, and there's nothing written between the lines, nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you'll fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. And then on the day when the Lord Jesus returns, you'll be proud of us in the same way that we're proud of you. I'm hoping that you'll be proud of me like I am proud of you. Uh, since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice, first on my way to Macedonia, and again when I return from Macedonia, then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. In other words, he changed his travel plans. He was hoping to visit them twice. It looks like now he's not going to get to. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Do you think I'm, a pe I'm like people of this world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, my word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through our Christ, our amen, which means yes, and ascends to glory to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he's identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything that he has promised. Now, wh what is he doing here? Uh, apparently, and, and again, you know, that stuff that I read you in the beginning, uh, he had to change his travel plans. He said, I'm going to do this, but I can't do that. I got to do this. You know, I'm in, in the middle of a deal right now where I, I, I'm trying to plan my year for 2014. And and uh, I, I, I have one guy that's trying to get me to take five trips to Eastern Europe. And I told him that I would give him a bunch of 2014. I can't go five times to Eastern Europe in one year. Uh, I, I got something else going on in Chile and something else going on in Africa. And I'm trying to jockey them all together. And I'm, I, I, I'm a person who I want to be a person if I say I'm going to come be with this guy and somebody more important comes along and says, can you come over here? That I say no, because I said yes to this guy. I want to be that kind of a person. I, it just makes sense, and it's integrity. It's how you live your life. And, and so Paul is basically saying to the church in Corinth, I've been really hard on you guys, but you know what? I'm a straight shooter. And don't read into that I had to plan, change some travel plans, that I, I'm somehow... Uh, playing games on you because I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm a straight shooter and I'm going to be a straight shooter and you can count on me there's integrity there and I have a couple of other uh, scriptures I want to just leave you with as, as we get on here Proverbs chapter 2 verse 7 says that God stores up sound wisdom for the upright he is a shield to those who walk in integrity if you walk in integrity uh, some people may throw some dirt on you but God's going to be a shield he's going to protect you in the middle of it 1 Timothy chapter 4, he's writing to Timothy, who is now the leader of the church in Ephesus. And he says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Be careful that your life and your teaching line up to each other. That's integrity. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, be, uh, be, be who you are. And I, I remember... As a young person, I was probably 15, 16 years old, and, and I, I went to a church. Um, in, in, in the old days, we used to have Sunday school for everybody from cradle to the grave, right? And I went to Sunday school on every Sunday, and then I went to church after, after Sunday school, and I wore a little suit because that was the way in those days, right? And one time, I had to get up, and I had to read some scripture in the Sunday school what they called the opening exercises. I don't know where they got that classy name, but the opening exercises was kind of like worship, and then they'd do some stuff, and then you'd go to a, a classroom, and you'd really be taught. And there were probably about this many people in the room because it was a big church. And so high school, Sunday school was a pretty big group of people. And, and I was terrified out of my mind to stand up and read like five verses of Scripture in front of those people. It was just, you know. And... Um, I remember the youth pastor, uh, and I don't know why he did this. I don't know if I got up there and was, <laughs> or if I got up there and tried to be something, you know. I don't know what I did, but I, I know I got it. And what I got was a, a lecture 
on that if you're ever going to be in front of people, you need to be the same person in front of people as you are when you're sitting down there with them. And it's probably why I'm such a slug as a speaker, you know. Uh, there's other people who get up here and fire everybody up, and I'm just not one of them. Uh, but to me, it has something to do with integrity. I want to be who I am. And, uh, and, 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 I, and I don't want to try to be something I'm not. And, and that's what Paul says is important here. Verse 23 says, Now I call upon God as my witness that I'm telling the truth. The reason that I didn't return to Corinth. Now, here, here's why he changed his travel plans. The reason why I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. In other words, I put off one of my trips because so, if I came there, I was going to level you. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to give you a little more time to think about it because he'd written these letters. And then he says in verse 24, but that does not mean that we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith in practice. I don't want to be around leaders who want to dominate me. I, I, I think leaders lead by example, not by authority. And when people get into heavy authority, it's a scary kind of a thing. He says, I don't want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you. We want to partner. That's leadership. We want to partner with you so you'll be full of joy. For it is by your own faith that you stand firm. At the end of the day, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, when I first became a pastor, there was an authority church in the neighborhood. And um, it turned out really badly. This church had about 350 people in it when we had 20 in ours. And um, they, they, they were so into that the pastor was the fourth member of the Trinity that they actually, you, you had to go out in the street and talk to people about the Lord several nights a week. You go to work and then you go to either a church service or you go out in the street, whatever. And they told you which night of the week that you had to go home and rest. Um, you had to. And if you wanted to ask a girl out, you had to ask the pastor's permission first. And if you'd been dating that girl for a while and you wanted to marry her, you had to ask the pastor's permission to do that. And if you got a job in Kansas City, we were in L.A., and you decided that you wanted to do that and you went and asked the pastor's permission, he would tell you no because they believed that if you left the church you accepted the Lord in for any reason, you were backslidden and lost your salvation. I mean, these were some pretty warped people. And they were running these halfway houses for guys that were coming out of the drug culture. And, but they were very, very authoritarian. And w we had a guy who, who left their church and came to our church. And he was with us for about six months. And then there was a couple of girls living in one of their girls' houses who wanted to leave because they wanted to escape the authority. And he went over to help them move. And the pastor's bodyguard beat him up beat him horribly, and the guy didn't swing one time. He just stood there and let the guy hit him and kept telling people while he's getting hit back and forth, uh, this is the fruit of what they're doing to you. Take a good look at this. He came to my house. I'd never seen anybody so badly beaten in my life. Uh, that's an extreme example of somebody leading by, dom by domination. But the one thing that has always beset the Christian church that's always got it in trouble is when religious leaders take authority on themselves that really isn't theirs, that belongs to the Lord. He says here, according to your own faith, you'll stand. According to your own faith, you'll stand. At the end of the day, a leader can do whatever he does. He can, he can teach well. He can sing and dance well. He can do whatever he does. Uh, he can scold people like Paul had ended up having to scold his people. But I don't get the feeling that he was having a lot of fun doing that. You know, go read the book of Philippians. Uh, the, the, the church in Philippi, uh, the, the, the whole thing is to keep saying over and over, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And we know when Paul wrote the, the letter to the Philippian church, he was in Rome. He didn't die but it was on the eve of his potential execution. He writing this last letter to these people in a, in a poor town, because the Philippian town was, they were poor people. And he's writing this letter to them, and he, and he says, you know, I don't know whether it's better to live and, uh, and be with you guys or die and go be with Christ. I'd actually prefer to go be with Christ, but I assume I'm going to probably live, and we know he did. We, we, 
history tells us he got killed in Rome, but not on that trip, okay? And so, um, you know, in his letter to them, in the midst of his own darkness, is rejoice, 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 rejoice. Don't you think you would have liked to have told the Corinthians rejoice? Paul's not an authority guy. He's being forced into a corner by the bad behavior of the Corinthians, and he's, and he's having to take some authority and say some hard things to them. But in the end, he, he, he backs away, and he goes, but it's really between you and the Lord. It's not, it's not me. I can't make you. I'm not going to try. It's between you and the Lord. You've got to figure it out. Is, is this good stuff? And so, you know, he, he, uh, he's kind of, as we get into this, it gets more relational. Second Corinthians is more relational than First Corinthians. And next week it will get very relational about our walk with the Spirit and, and our walk with God. But, uh, you know, there, there comes this thing of, am I, am I living out my purpose? Am I being the person that I'm supposed to be? My problems and my, my, my the cruddy stuff that goes on in my life, God could actually use that so that it could strengthen me so I could strengthen somebody else if I'm willing to let him. And part of being willing to let him is to be a person of integrity. I want to be that. And ultimately, I stand alone before my Savior. And I, I want to be somebody that measures up to his, his calling in my life, whatever it is. Is this good? Good, because I'm done. I only went nine minutes and 59 seconds overtime. Good night. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your son, Jesus, and we thank you that we know you. And we thank you that you are above all things, that you're in all things, and that you'll work through all things. And so, Lord, we present you our lives. We present you our hopes. We present our dreams to you. We present our fears. We present our hurt feelings. We present our crushed spirit. Whatever it is, we present it to you. And Lord, we ask that you would come and be the God of all comfort, the God of all encouragement, the God who answers prayers and changes circumstances. Be everything that you claim to be in our lives.